This is Roof English Radio with Darren Adam, daily English language radio from Iceland's national broadcaster, Roof. Hello, this is Roof English Radio. I'm Darren Adam. Thanks very much for your company today and Happy New Year because we're going to start by looking back at 2023 through the lens of various episodes of The Week in Iceland from 2023 on Roof English Radio and from its predecessor, the Roof English Podcast as well. Now, as we sit here recording our conversation today, it's actually Wednesday, the 20th of December. And as we sit here, of course, a volcanic eruption across the Reykjanes Peninsula has imperiled the town of Grindavik once again. We hope that the lava continues to move away from the town, a town that was evacuated on the 10th of November because of very serious earthquakes that did damage to the town in the southwest corner. Over the course of 2023, we of course reflected on another volcanic eruption, the third in as many years in a very similar area, which certainly seemed to be less damaging and less dangerous. Over the course of our show today, though, I'm going to turn away from those eruptions, turn away from the volcano, turn away from the earthquakes, and look and listen back to some of the other stories from 2023. Let's try to piece the year back together. And you will hear over the course of this show contributions from my Rouve colleagues, including Björn Malmqvist, Margaret Adams-Dottir, Valle Gretesen, Pieter Magnusson, Heuker Holm, Olaf Rune Erlens-Dottir, Halgrimur Indresen, Ingun Laura Christians-Dottir, Berta Björnsdottir, and Ari Paul Carlson. You're also going to hear from journalists Josie Gatens, Andy Fontaine, and Valle Gunnarsson, as well as Ingeborg Rosa Bjornsdottir from the University Centre of the Westfjords. But I want to start pretty much where the year of 2023 began, when the Ruve English baton was handed over to me from the man on whose shoulders I stood, and that was Alex Elliott. When I wrote this story, an excuse to get a, the title of a much-loved British radio programme into the news here, just a minute, <laughs> because that is how long the negotiation, the latest negotiation between Epling and SA lasted just a couple of days ago. And we've got some more on, on what is now likely. We here at Rouve yesterday spoke to a couple of people working uh, at a couple of the hotels likely to be affected by the strike in the next few days. And the mood music is that this strike is coming, it seems. Yeah, I think that can't be a surprise since it did happen last time as well. Um, all of the hotels, I think, in Reykjavik, the whole of the Epling Union went on strike um, the last time this happened. Um, this time they're looking at having just one company's hotels mm. affected. I don't know why necessarily or, or how that's going to work. Um, but the fact that they would go ahead and do the strike is, is I think, no surprise. Mm. Well, one of the maids to whom we spoke yesterday working at the Reykjavik Grand uh, is alluding to that point, saying that it is rather strange that only this small number of people are going to be taking uh, this action. But, but she also says there are many people working at that hotel and various other hotels who actually don't want to strike. And, you know, this sense that Epling are really leading this, maybe some people say overplaying their hand. Maybe some people are saying that, yeah. Um, in, it's interesting, at least, that Epling is the one union that has stood aside from the negotiations that have been happening and, and most of the other unions mm. did accept um, a deal, uh, especially this time after the pandemic and the way the world is at the moment. These are very short-term deals. It's mm. only for, I think, about a year, isn't it, until until or the start of 2024. 
Um, and therefore, perhaps you could argue there is a little bit less riding on it. Mm. Um, that's not to say that we don't want to get a fair deal. Uh, and obviously, all the workers deserve a fair deal. And as is widely reported, Epling represents some of the lowest paid workers. Yeah. Um, and so therefore, it's perhaps reasonable that they're fighting the hardest. Let's go back to the end of last week. A, a very controversial story on Friday, and I suspect it's going to remain controversial. This is the plan to sell the Icelandic Coast Guard rescue and surveillance plane, um, known as TF-SIF, because yep. that's its code number, tf s IF and the 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 reason for this or the reason that's been given is that the coast guard is in you know the coast guard as an organization is in difficulty financially and that this would raise money but the opposition to this seems to be coming from all quarters including the coast guard practically from everybody uh, not just the coast guard we you have uh, geoscientists who have been benefiting you know from the plane during uh, during eruptions you have the sailors you know you have uh, you know various kinds of people whose whose lives depend on on on, on having uh, having the coast guard properly equipped uh, with surveillance and 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 rescue missions plus you have political you know opposition mm, which is not mm. uh, the least important uh, part of all of this uh, what people are sort of i mean the background to this is that you know this plane came came to the coast guard i think about 10 years ago or more than 10 years ago probably around 9000 2008 2009 mm. and it was kind of a revolution uh for the for the coast guard but we always knew it was expensive so for most of the last what six, seven years, I want to say. Mm. This plane hasn't really been in Iceland. It's been rented out to an organization called Frontex, yeah. which uh, surveils the, the the borders of the Schengen area. You know, the Schengen, yeah. Of which uh, Iceland is part. Of which we are part, and, and all of Europe, practically. So it's been flying around in the Mediterranean, uh, you know, looking for smugglers, uh, surveilling uh, migratory patterns, uh, you know, migrants coming from Africa and, and from Asia to Europe. So it's been rented out there, and mm. that was the way the Coast Guard was able to keep it running. You know, we we they had to get some money for the uses of this uh, of this mm. plane. In recent in the in the last two or three years, this renting out of the plane has practically dried up. So uh, it's become a burden on on the Coast Guard. Obviously, it costs mm. a lot of money to run this plane, uh, but it's hugely useful, and and the the. And the opposition to the plans to sell it are, to a part, in my understanding, they are partly political. And they are also objecting to the way the minister sort of presented this. Mm. Oh, this was, is the Minister of Justice, isn't it? Is that yes, right? Yes, yeah. it's the Minister yeah. of Justice who yeah. controls, whose, whose brief is, among others, uh, the Coast Guard. Yeah. And so they're objecting to the way he presented this issue first in the government and then sort of not really in the parliament. So the parliament stepped in, as, as, as you wrote about in your story, um, uh, what, three days, uh, four days ago? Yeah, so the parliament week. stepped in. They called the minister. They called the chief of the, of the Coast Guard. They are now deliberating. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe they're going to come up with some money to to save in in quotation marks uh, the plane. We'll see. But again, looking at the opposition within Parliament, you've got the chair of the Foreign Affairs Committee. You've also got the chair of the Budget Committee. But you've also got, and this might be surprising, 
the Minister of Infrastructure, <laughs> who also thinks a review should be needed as well. Now, you, you know, a lot of people might think that something like this falls under the remit of infrastructure rather than, than justice. But as we explained, it doesn't. So you've got the Justice Minister instructing the Coast Guard to sell the plane or make preparations to sell the plane. Yep. But then you've got the Minister of Infrastructure, who is in the same coalition government, government not, as, not well, the, uh, yeah. as well as the chair of the foreign committee who is <laughs> yeah. like really angry about this. Yes. <laughs> and, and he, the minister of infrastructure, is saying he heard about the sale in the media and thinks a review must be needed. So, Which begs the question, was, like, wasn't he listening during a, <laughs> you know, during a meeting of the government? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, or, or maybe, maybe this wasn't raised in, in the way that he wanted it to be. But, but you, you've got now pretty much, you know, I think it's fair to say widespread opposition to this. Do you think there is going to be a review then? There's going to be some... Oh, there's going to be a review. And there are those who say, I'm not the one who's saying it, but there are those who say that the Minister of Justice was just playing a game uh, in order to save the plane, actually. So he was sort of of sending up a trial balloon, uh, (laughs) getting some reaction, (laughs) and then sort of... uh, Slowly but surely, finding money somewhere to right. uh, to to keep it running. We so shall we shall see. So that theory, which is advanced by some, uh, would be that at some point he will point to all those opposition and say, "See, this is why we can't do it." Well, uh, something like that. Yeah. But you know, this you know this kind of game has been played before, both here in Iceland and elsewhere. I suspect. A story from last week, and I suppose the the great news here is that only. Two people sustained only minor injuries, mm-hmm. but it was a big fire. This was the Arctic fish site, actually still under construction in Tolknafjörður. Uh, the fire breaking out on the 23rd, so in the middle of last week. And a, a significant presence in the town, of course. Yeah, for sure. I don't know how the demogra- demographics of Tolknafjörður have changed, but um, they have a significant immigrant population there. From what I understand, like it's it's not a very large village, and a large portion of them are immigrants. And in places like this, there's often like one major employer. Mm. You know, like I had visited Vopnefjotir some years ago, and I was surprised just how many people worked at the HB Grandi uh, fish processing plant there. Yeah. So, I think as you say, like fortunately there were just two injuries, and they weren't very serious. But I think what's going to be like. More impactful is the the emotional damage that, like, mm. a brand new employer, or at least a new place to work, yeah, um, being set back like that. Well, the business development manager of the company Arctic Fish said that uh, this is Daniel Jakobsen uh, saying the total cost of the building that was under construction estimated at four billion kroner. Naturally, he says it's not finished; not all the equipment's gone into it yet, so it's very difficult to say at this stage what the extent of the damage is, and presumably mm. that. That's a picture that's going to become clearer and will be becoming clearer right now when they they work out exactly what's happened here. Yes. But, um, yeah, a very unfortunate event in, in a beautiful part of the country. And, 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 again, could have been worse because this building sits between two others. So this could have spread and, and, and tremendous work uh, from the fire chief and the fire brigade, not just in, in Tolknafjörður, but in Patricksfjörður as well. Thor, the walrus, um, who was in Berithalsvik. And this story started with the discovery of the walrus on a pontoon, a floating sort of pier thing in the town. And it wasn't 
until a few days later that we learned of his fame. Oh my goodness, it was so inspiring to learn that he has swam, what, 1,360 kilometers from a town in UK. Yeah, yeah, just That's where trip. he, yeah, just on this trip. And he, he has been seen all over Europe. This is an amazing animal that is obviously very curious about the world and very, very, um, in very good health, um, very strong to be able to do those trips. And, and, and I'm, I was, I was really uh, inspired to see that <laughs> that people have taken uh, um, pictures of him, and they they've known him, and they traced him. And there, this this scientist has, or ornithologist, who was that that this, that recognized him after the the patterns on his skin. Yes. Yes. Well, I'm very grateful to uh, Rune Awe uh, from the University College of Ostfold in Norway because he has sent me a link to a Google map, which I'll let you see just now, showing the journey thus far that has been made by Thor. And of course, it's not just, as you say, coming from the UK, coming from the north of England, but he's been around the coast of the Netherlands and Belgium uh, and France and, and, and in the southern part of the UK as well. Um, he's not being tracked at the moment, but we assume he's going north to be with his walrus friends. Uh, yes, it's quite a feat. He's probably been around more than us. <laughs> I would think so, yes. yes. <laughs> and all those countries. And it was very funny because they stopped uh, the New Year's fireworks in one of the towns <laughs> because he was uh, laying there um, very happily um, uh, on the beach uh, doing all sorts of things. And uh, yes. so they decided not to disturb him, him in his, in his uh, little paradise. And, and so they postponed the firework display, which I think is, is really nice of the, of the little town. You've been determined to get this detail into the story, haven't you? Yes, I was, because I have never heard in my life about a masturbating walrus before. I don't think any of us have. <laughs> Until, well, until apparently, apparently that that's a thing, and uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and and postponing <laughs> a whole firework display for, for that is is I think it's it's a big step for, for humanity. I'll never forget the look on your face when I alerted you to that part of the story, and you just said, "But how is it possible?" Yeah, I didn't know, and then apparently uh, you can you can Google the the. There is a video uh, of the walrus <laughs> <laughs> on that beach in England, and then you will understand how that is possible for the curious ones that are interested in, yeah. in, in the animal <laughs> behavior. And you'll find that link in Margaret's favorites. Uh, no. <laughs> no. Seven days ago, we were reflecting on news that was just a couple of hours old, which was of the avalanches, which were mm -hmm. still falling in East Iceland. Right. As of yesterday, the first of the month, or a couple of days ago, the evacuations have come to an end. But I guess the first thing to say is enormous relief that there weren't any serious injuries. It's, it's incredible, to be honest. Uh, this was much bigger than we have seen for the longest time, when it comes to this area at least. Uh, these were not one or two avalanches. They were, these were few. Uh, the weather was very heavy and... Uh, just to, uh, for people just to imagine the situations, imagine like trapped the show or yeah, something. Yeah. This was like that, like on steroids, more or less. It was dark and heavy. Uh, 
And the thing is, of course, these uh, avalanches goes down and they have these three, uh, what do you call it, like uh, in the mountain hills, they catches the, 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 the snow over the whole town. And mm. that definitely saved the town, more yeah. or less. Yeah, yeah. This could have gone very badly. Uh, but they haven't uh, finished all of these uh, structures yes. that we have uh, to, to meet this threat. Uh, and they, they went down, of course, to this one house, more or less, but there were like uh, well over 10 cars that were just like, uh, I mean, we were seeing pictures of this. And they were literally just laying around there yeah. like some giant had just been playing with them and just throwing it away. Yeah. It, it was very like humbling just to see uh, the aftermath of this, because on Saturday, the weather just went from like horrible to sunny and, and wonderful, actually. And just for the people, and I actually spoke to the, the mayor uh, in the area, mm. uh, and he said just to see the, the aftermath of this and the destruction, yeah. they, they, they were like overwhelmed. It was much more than they thought. Yeah, and those weather alerts were in place for days. I mean, long yeah. after the rest of the country was, as you say, if not bathing in sunshine, right. but certainly having much more yeah. moderate conditions. The, exactly. The East Fjords particularly had an orange alert until Saturday, I think. Until Saturday. Yeah. And yeah, it was it was really odd because the, the people, in, even in Reykjavik, did not connect with this because no. we just saw, it was just fine weather, like almost 10 degrees which in Iceland is like like being in Tenerife or something. In Spain, <laughs> it's like incredibly warm. Yeah, yeah. So, it's funny I drove out to Keplavik on Friday to pick up my partner and I phoned my parents who live in the UK. And of course, yeah. they've been following some of this news. And, and they said, are you all right? Is everything fine? So it was the other end of the country. It's, <laughs> yeah. But it is striking just how how different conditions were right. in the east of Iceland yeah. compared with the entirety of the rest yeah. of the country. It was just flat out odd. I yeah. mean, I don't see this often. My, I, I don't remember this kind of weather often before myself. Also, yeah. of course, I don't know how much you've talked about this, of course, in the podcast, but uh, also just uh, this was like a psychological like a trauma also for a lot, mm. lot of people mm. that lived mm. in the area, in, in, in at least in Neskopstaður. Um, because they had uh, avalanches there uh, in the 70s and there were a lot of people that actually died in that, that mm, time. Mm. And they kind of, it, it's like, an, it's an odd history. I didn't even know about these avalanches until very late on. Like yeah. I was probably in my 30s uh, when I heard first about that because they kind of just buried this. Mm. Was, this was just hard memories for these people and they didn't think about it for decades. And when this happened, it kind of just yeah. all, tore open uh, an old wound. And I think not just for people in East Iceland, yeah. but memories of avalanches, which of course took and claimed lives in other parts of the country yeah. as well, in the Westfjords, for example. Especially in the Westfjords, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So people all over Iceland were right. looking at this. And I think at the start of the week, crossing their fingers and hoping and, and praying, if that's what they chose to do, yeah. that we weren't going to see a repeat of any of that. And happily, yeah. we can sit here a week later and say that that, what, that wasn't right. what happened, which it, is it's, tremendous. It's, it's incredible. It's like it, it's nothing than sheer luck that it didn't go worse than it did. Now, on the first day of summer, which I didn't realise was a holiday, so I turned up for work on Thursday last week. It was good to see you. It, it, was, was, it was great it was to be here, yes. Really fun to have, have, have breakfast. <laughs> um, you were working, of course, and you were out on location at the new Icelandic house. It was named, was it named on Thursday? Is that when it got its name when so, you were there? Yeah, it was named on, on Wednesday. On Wednesday. And then it was open to the public on, on the first day of summer. Okay, and the name given was? It was at which is both an Icelandic, very Icelandic name, but but also worldwide recognition for that name as well. People yes. know what it so is. So it's it's an it's an Icelandic name of the 
unknown origin, which make, which makes it kind of mysterious and, and fun. Uh, but it is famous or famous it's notable uh, due to the poetic Etta, which mm. is is the the book. Uh, written by Snorri Sturluson, uh, sort of a, a famous academic from the 12th century, uh, detailing uh, sort of the Nordic uh, religious gods. And, and uh, so most of the things we know and, and mm. see in, in our blockbuster movies come from yeah. the poetic Edda. And then brilliantly, the prose Edda, which was a, basically a guidebook about how to write poetry, yeah, essentially, absolutely. which is yeah. an amazing idea, isn't it? Yeah, but I, I, I was really excited to, to cover this story because... Uh, like, Taren, do you know the story of the whole of Icelandic studies? The whole of Icelandic studies? Yes, the whole of Icelandic studies. Uh, that, that feels like uh, we're going to have to extend the podcast by quite a few minutes. <laughs> Just a few minutes, I'll be quick. Because when <laughs> I, because the, the reason why I found it very exciting to be there at the opening of this house is because yeah. when I was a young man uh, in, in Reykjavik, um, this was just the whole in the ground for a very long oh, time. Oh, you mean a you mean a hole, not yes. a complete no, thing. No, no, no. Oh, I see. Okay, because right. They, they dug the foundation of this hole because they they had right. a uh, in in 2006 they announced that they were going to build this amazing house for Icelandic studies, um, and they had an architecture competition which was announced and the, the winner of in in. Uh, August 2008, just a few days before the collapse of the yes. old Icelandic banking system. So there was a few years when nothing happened, then they dug a foundation and, and uh, it was just the foundation for mm. for six or seven years. And this is when I was hanging around there. So that was called the high, the, the whole of Icelandic <laughs> studies. Um, and, and now it's the house. Now it's the house of Icelandic studies, finally. But this is a, a sort of... Yeah. A, uh, a, a, so, a language joke for for wh- where is this in Reykjavik? If if someone wants to see it, and I think that's still possible for a while. Um, so this is in in West Town, in sort of the college campus of Houskol Island. Okay. So it's on you, the it's you, on the campus. Yeah. So yeah. it's uh, there is the main building, and then on the other side of of the street is both the National Library, uh, the the University Library, and this beautiful house uh, called Etta. And it is, from the photo, beautiful. You've seen it up close. Was it worth the wait, do you think? It's a, it's a very nice house. They, I, I think all the the humanities nerds and, and Icelandic studies <laughs> professors are going to have a great time there. It's a beautiful sort of in, in, indoor garden with mm. beautiful plants. And, and I think there's going to be some, some great events there in the future. Yeah. So I think at, at the time that this did not get built, as you say, when the financial crisis happened, the Krepa happened, mm. um, Harpa was being built, wasn't it? And that was originally going to be an opera house. Yes. As well as a concert hall, and only one of it, one bit of that got got made in the end. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, they found it difficult to to get funding for for this particular house, uh, and f- for a long time. So, like from from two thousand eight until it was announced, nothing really happened until just a few years ago when they started building it again in two thousand nineteen. A great news story from Akureyri, the northern capital, or the capital of northern Iceland, which for such a long time has really wanted to hit this milestone of 20,000 residents. And, well, a couple of weeks ago they actually did, but Rebecca Arun Alexandersdottir was revealed to the world and publicly named just last week. She is the 20,000th resident of Akureyri. Yeah, that's quite a milestone, and and Akureyri has... uh, They've talked about it every now and then of not becoming a city. Mm. They're they're considered a town, 
but they wa- they want to become a city, and uh, I suppose their claim will be more loud now since they've gotten yeah. up to twenty thousand. But it was a really sweet story, and uh, no. because the uh, those young parents of the, of the girl, and they announced her name on television. In the company of the mayor. And we had this sort of sweet picture of, of the mayor holding the uh, baby, the mayor, the young woman herself. So uh, yes. it was a sweet story. Well, I must say, when I wrote this story a couple of days ago for Roof English, I used the word city because I think Akureyri justifiably thinks of itself as a city. It is obviously relatively small by international standards, but it really punches above its weight because culturally it's massively important. It is the biggest place for many kilometres around, and so I think I think it has a claim to being a city. It has a claim, because, uh, as you know, we only have one city in, in Iceland, that's Reykjavik, but uh, it has a claim, and, uh, and so uh, the uh, Akureyri has always been called, over decades, been called the capital of the north, so uh, yeah. I think they, they got a pretty fair claim of being defined as a city. Yeah, I I know when they were looking to reach that 20,000 total, my partner and I, who wanted to move to Iceland, and of course now we're here, thought, well, maybe Akureyri is the place to go. Maybe if they were at 19,998, we could take them over the top. (laughs) Yeah, you could. (laughs) And uh, Akureyri is also, uh, it's a really really beautiful, beautiful beautiful place. And and you very often get pretty good summers there. Mm. And they have a great skiing resort during the winter, so... uh, it has a lot to offer. And even if you aren't into skiing, I have no sense of balance at all. I would fall over as soon as I put the skis on. You can go up there and you get a great view over the place. Great view of the place and, uh, and Akureyri has everything a, a town or a city should have. They have, of course, as most towns and villages in Iceland, have great swimming pool, but they have yeah. a cultural house, theatre, great restaurants. Akureyri has it all. Well, we're going to be recording a few episodes of the podcast in Akureyri at the end of this week, in fact, and you'll be able to hear those on the podcast service over the next few weeks, going to the Hof, as it's called, which is the cultural centre. I'm also, because I like dogs, I'll be going to Go Husky, which is just north of Akureyri, where, as you might have seen in the last couple of weeks, the owners there are knitting from all the dog hair that comes off the huskies. Uh, Akureyri, like I said, being a, being a beautiful town or, or, or city, if you will, it's also the uh, area, that area in Iceland is really beautiful. So it's not far from Akureyri to a lot of beautiful places. So uh, going to Akureyri, is, it's, it's worth its while. Russia is believed to be spying in and on Iceland, according to Runofer Thorhalsen, who is the deputy superintendent at the police analytical department. And the Justice Minister, Jon Gunnarsson, has said this week that why would Iceland not be spied on? We're, we can't think that we're exceptional here. We're in the same position as other Nordic countries and other countries when it comes to Russia and other countries spying on us. Yeah, I think he has a point. I mean, I don't see why we would be exempt from this, but... Um, um, I feel like we might have less information than uh, larger countries since, I mean, we don't have any secret service, we don't have an army here, and um, it feels uh, quite sort of scary to think about when you live in such an isolated sort of place, Um, but it makes sense uh, with what you're hearing from Russia these days, so it doesn't really surprise people, I think. Well, Jon Gunnarsson has a bill going through Althingi, which is designed to allow the police in Iceland to have more powers, to talk to the security authorities in other countries. Some people are worried that it might 
be the first step towards Iceland having a security service or a, a secret police, or you know, call it whatever you want. Iceland does not have any of that sort of apparatus that other countries do. Is, is that a fear that you're picking up, that people are worried Iceland might lose its special place not having to have that? Oh, I'm not sure. It's such a complex topic, I think. I, I think, um, from what I've heard, people have mixed yes. opinions about it. Um, when it comes to something like this that we never really had in place pef- before, of course, people are afraid of what they don't know and what we might lose, but... Who knows? As we speak, there are lots of people making their way to Iceland. We think over 1,000 for the Council of Europe summit that takes place uh, tomorrow. If you're listening on Monday, that's tomorrow, Tuesday and Wednesday this week in Reykjavik at Harpa. It's going to be very hard to get near Harpa for a couple of days or into it at all. And a lot of the city centre is going to be closed to vehicular traffic uh, for much of the two days. So an exciting, quite tense week ahead, I would say. Yeah. Uh, sensed already when I was watching into this building yes. with you know uh, all, all the TV journalists running around and talking about you know or, or is Orban coming? No, he's not coming. And as well as the uh, Ukrainian, uh, not Ukrainian, Hungarian uh, prime yes, minister. Yes. Uh, because we don't know if the, if the Ukrainian president will come. It's I think he's it's, in the UK right now. Isn't yeah, he? and he could, get, he could share a plane with Sunak. Yeah, <laughs> I mean the, he has been touring the the capitals of, of, of the major countries of Europe, Rome, yes. Berlin, Paris, now London. I don't think that is coincidental. If that will mean that he will um, yeah, jump on a plane and come to Iceland, he might. You know, it's, it's clo- closer to London than it is to Kiev. Yeah. Uh, he might also just be preparing all these people before they go. Um, it's interesting, if you look at the international media, they're actually much less interested in this Reykjavik meeting and more interested in the G7 meeting taking place in Japan mm-hmm. later this month, where Biden is going, of course, and, and so Zelensky might even just be prepping them yes. all for that. Well, it, I mean, if Zelensky is going to come, there's a lot of security around for the next couple of days. It wouldn't be a bad time from that point of view to, to yeah. come, would it? I don't uh, think he'd be coming to go to the Blue Lagoon. He'd be coming to <laughs> to address the... Yeah, I would think so. He's not going to be Instagramming his, 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 his visit to the hot dog stand, is he? No, when I was uh, editor of uh, Grapevine, I saw I saw Bill Clinton stop by there, his famous <laughs> visit. And, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and there's a picture of him that used to be up in what was the restaurant in Poland as well pride of place for his his visit to that restaurant which of course is no longer there the old revolving restaurant on the top of Berlin yeah. well. Council of Europe of course is not the EU it's sometimes confused it's much bigger than the EU the UK for example not being in the EU but it is still in the Council of Europe yeah it predates the EU by a few years another it's like Eurovision it's one of these you know <laughs> let's create peace in Europe yes type things and yeah, and, and it includes all the countries of Europe, although Russia was formally kicked out after yeah. the full-scale invasion of Ukraine. After they took over Crimea in 2014, they had been sort of, their, their membership was dormant. But yeah, uh, but yeah they, they also, they run the the Court of Human Rights in Haag. But they don't meet very often. This is only no. the, the fourth time or something. And this is the end of Iceland's presidency, of course, yeah. just by the summits taking place over the next couple of days. Lots of world leaders in the uh, streets of the capital. And again, we talk about tourism. It's not going to do any harm at all to, to Iceland's tourist prospects to have the focus of the world's media, or at least Europe's media, on Iceland for a few days. Yeah, yeah, it's going to remind people that 
Iceland's there yeah. <laughs> when they are planning well Europeans probably tend to plan their summer holidays with more more time than than uh, Icelanders do and but yeah I mean Eurovision didn't do a lot for us but at least we have this <laughs> the mashup the council of Eurovision <laughs> one story is uh, evolving pretty much as we speak uh, right now because uh, uh, this morning, the uh, finance uh, authority, uh, which is under the central bank, has uh, issued uh, their report on uh, uh, the way that uh, Islands Bank handled uh, the selling of just over 20% shares of the bank. This bank has been uh, uh, pretty much since uh, the financial collapse uh, been owned by the state, mm. but it has always been uh, the limit to, to sell it gradually. Uh, and uh, the state itself handled uh, over 20% of the sales uh, uh, a few uh, few months back and uh, that that was controversial but this revolves around the shares that the bank itself handled and uh, it's it's safe to say that uh, the finance authority is very critical on, on the way this is this was handled. It really is, isn't it? And this was a controversial sale at the time. There were protests that took place in the centre of, of Reykjavik. People were really unhappy. But have we learned anything new, do you think, from this report? It does go into a lot of detail about all the things that went wrong. Yeah, uh, one of the things uh, was that uh, there was uh, a staff within uh, the bank that uh, had the chance to uh, to make offers uh, in shares, even though they knew maybe a bit more about what was going on than the rest of the public. So that is, uh, I, I'm not a, an expert of the law, but uh, that, uh, as far as I know, that is uh, pretty much illegal. Feels wrong, doesn't it? Yes, it, it, indeed, <laughs> indeed it does. Uh, and uh, and uh, they are even accused of uh, misleading the state, giving them uh, pretty much false information. Mm. Uh, so uh, this re this really has uh, gone has uh, uh, if we if, according to the report this has in many ways gone badly wrong and it's mainly the uh, the board of the bank and the bank manager that ha that received the biggest part of the criticism here. Mm. Now the fine I think is in excess of one billion Icelandic krona, yeah. biggest such fine ever. Yeah, and Be that was negotiated uh, yeah. before before the weekend. That was that that was uh, the, 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 then then uh, the bank has pretty much admitted that it uh, yes. it hadn't uh, in in every way uh, acted uh, according to the law. And is that the punishment then, or is there more to come? Uh, I would uh, I would suggest that it was uh, that, that maybe that is the formal punishment. I mean that yes. the, the state will not punish uh, the bank itself uh, yes. more than that. But the big question here now is uh, uh, the responsibility of the board and the bank manager and yeah. whether they really are are able to keep their jobs uh, after this. And and I would I would uh, think that there will be mm. some involvements uh, before the end of the yes. day and at least the next few days. I, I'm not suggesting for a moment this would be the appropriate sanction in this case, but it's it's really interesting that lots of people outside of Iceland think of Iceland as the country that famously jailed the bankers Indeed. during the credit crunch. Now, it's a bit more nuanced than that because the bankers were 
were jailed for doing things that were illegal, not just for being bankers. Exactly. Um, and in this case, those people might be quite surprised to see that there is a banking scandal, perhaps not on quite the same scale, but one that has arisen in this way and one which the authorities claim and have apparently seen to be so, one that's gone so very badly wrong. Yeah, and uh, the, the what, what maybe is uh, is a big worry is that after after all this happened in two thousand eight, all this collapse, the rules uh, regarding the banks and how they were how they were operated uh, were were tightened. And mm. uh, for example, it it is not considered possible now that. Uh, uh, that banks can go into these uh, these huge debts to to uh, overtake uh, other companies, uh, and uh, which, which was pretty much what uh, the, one of the big reasons that yeah. the, that they fell. But uh, this uh, revolves around uh, shares in the bank itself, uh, which is maybe something that uh, was not considered something that uh, we that uh, that the, the, the state thought that they mm. would have to make some stricter stricter rules on this was supposed to be uh, a, an op- when, when when the shares were offered initially that the, the the message was that this would be open this would be transparent and uh, everyone would be equal mm. when they were mm. when when they could when, when they were offered uh, to buy shares uh, this report obviously suggests that that was not the case. And it does go into a lot of detail as to what went wrong. One of the details I found quite interesting was that the bank is accused of not having recorded telephone conversations. Yeah. Uh, when have you ever phoned the bank not to hear the message, your call is being recorded for quality and training purposes? Bizarre, isn't it? That, that it, you know, it, it goes into that level of detail, but there is that level of detail. Yeah, yeah. it really is. And maybe that is, uh, the, that is maybe a, the, this, this small part that shows the, the bigger picture here mm. of, of uh, wondering what went wrong. This should be, this should be pretty basic, but... Uh, when uh, something like this hmm. goes wrong, then uh, then you 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 wonder what what is behind it. A story that we reported during the week as well that I find quite interesting because I find politics interesting. Referenda will now take place on the merger between Tuckenfjord, the district, and Vesterbyg, in the southern part of the Westfjords, and this would unite not just the town of Tuckenfjord but the surrounding district with the district of Vesterbyr. Uh, which contains the towns of Patricksfjörður and Bíðadala and various others as well. And you look at it on a map, and it, I mean, I guess it, it makes sense for these two municipalities to get together. The mayors think it's going to happen. Can you give any reason why it shouldn't? <laughs> um, well, no, I, th- I think there's a, there's, a, there's a support for it, and it makes sense in so many ways. Again, if you look at the map, it looks like it's close, but this is the West Jersey. So I'm not saying it's it's you know terrible conditions, but you know in winter the mm. the the roads are a bit longer, yes. <laughs> the distance is a bit more than than usual. Um, I think the only fear that people have, because we see people understand that this is um, a wise decision if if wise merger if it happens because it's you know if you pool things you know put everything in one pool it's it should be easier to provide services mm-hmm. and and distribute money and stuff 
The only thing is that we have this here in the West Yours, it's happened. We have this Isafjarnarbær, um, which includes Thingiri, Flateri, Sudreri. The fear is that the smaller uh, communities, the smaller, um, yeah, community like mm. the, the former independent communities, that, which are further away from the mid, the main center, sort of mm. get a bit neglected. Um, I'm not saying <laughs> that's what's happening here, but there, there's been uh, uh, discussions about yes. that. The upside, as the mayors see it, is that there would be tunnels being built, more tunnels being built to unite these communities so that all year round it forms one location where people can work and live. So you can live in any part of this new super municipality and and work in another and live in another and, and the weather will not get in the way. So that seems to be a prerequisite for this. Yes, absolutely. And and if, um, if that's what it takes, then I think... Um, the people in the in the southwest Yurts will do that because tunnels we need more tunnels we need better tunnels we need wider tunnels uh, i mean there's been a great development since i don't know 20 25 years ago the first time i started coming to the west Yurts because i'm not from around here um the the work on dinyan that is being done carried out right now um is going to be I mean, when it finishes, it's already improved conditions really a lot. Um, when it, that's finished in mm. 2025, it's going to be a huge um, positive thing for not just people of Westfjords, but for the rest of Iceland. To, to, it should be easier to come to the Westfjords, whether it's for work or studying here mm -hmm. at the university centre mm -hmm. or, or just travelling. Um, for instance, I was um, I was living in Flateri all winter and I drove to Reykjavik quite a few times to see my family and I was able to go over Dinyantishede all of the times except one. And yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's, I just, we need more tunnels and people in the rest of Iceland, no offense, <laughs> but if you're talking about having some tunnels made just to make it an easier ride somewhere in the south, you know, you don't know what you're talking about until you come to the West Coast. We need the tunnels first. Right. So you're not saying that the Kvalfjörður tunnel is a vanity tunnel then? It's, it... <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. It's there and it's definitely, you know, yeah. getting... Um, I, I remember when we first came to Iceland in 1998, it was before that tunnel was open. Yeah. And it's a much longer way around to get to, to Borganes, say, or even Akranes uh, from, from Reykjavik if that tunnel is not in place. I know it was a huge improvement, yeah, yeah, which yeah. is why tunnels here would, would be, be a, a huge improvement because yeah. I can live in Platter and work in Isafjordur uh, easily. And I, I've also been working for uh, the Blue Bank in Thinkeri, and it's easy for me to go there, but there's no tunnel. So I have to take the weather more in, in, in mm -hmm. consideration. And the first time we drove in the Westfjords through the, the tunnel that connects the places that you mentioned, I was surprised to see a junction in the middle of the tunnel. I thought, wow, they're really committed to this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's the coolest tunnel in Iceland. Um, it needs to be widened, that, that part from Sudrede, the junction to, to Flateri, because yes. uh, it, the traffic is getting so, there's so much more traffic, especially in summer with tourists, but also because, because it's now one municipality, people are more working in, in Isafjord, they're living in Thinkeri or vice versa, or, you know, they, they are, there's more, the, the places are more connected. Mm -hmm. And that's why we need 
um, more tunnels or, or better uh, roads. Let's turn to a different kind of activity on the ground, and that's all the traffic jams over the course of the weekend. Oh, my goodness. Between Reykjavik and Selfos, particularly, the Koteletten um, music festival and family yes. barbecue festival was taking place in Selfos. But there was also a festival in the Westman Isles as well. Yes. And there was something else on the south coast, I think, wasn't there? There was another... Uh, another, I think that we don't quote me on that. I think there's another reason for people to be travelling. But anyway, it all led to big traffic jams. There was something in Thorsmark. Possibly, yeah. And then there was also a music festival in the east, in right. the East Iceland. So all of that combining to make for some Plus difficult the conditions and the weather to getting people out of the house. Again, when I started, when we started coming to Iceland, traffic jams were just unheard of. <laughs> Completely unheard of. <laughs> no. But now you'll see them in the city. Yes, and you'll now see them in the we capital. really need some more roads. Uh, double roads because yes. especially that road towards Selfos, it gets pretty busy very quickly. And it is, it has been redone partly. We have two lanes uh, each way, but still there are some parts mm. of it that are narrow and, and then it blocks quite easily. Yeah. And Koteletan is actually not a very old um, family festival, but it has... Uh, become very very popular I think mm. because it's close to the uh, capital yes you can just you know reach the, the place very quickly and also the barbecue is very appealing appealing yes. it's it has a some summary feeling to it and then there's also a very good concert usually with with the current stars of the season that are playing which um, yeah and uh, actually I went out uh, to have a drink on Saturday and we just made the, the the customary club walk with my friend where we just you know you go around uh, for those that don't know Iceland very well we have that uh, we walk around uh, the clubs basically because they're all free of charge and you yes. can go in and see if there's a nice ambience and you can dance it was absolutely empty Really? It was very empty. So there was, we, we really do, did want to dance a little bit, but there was no point, you know, being the only one on the dance floor. <laughs> so <laughs> it was very funny. Have the dance floor to yourself. Yeah. More, more space ah! to throw your magical shapes. <laughs> yes. I want to turn to interest rates because they fell to 7.6% in July. That is the mm. lowest for nearly, in yes. fact, for over a year. We will be, well, I'm thinking we will then slowly turn into a, it will be a buyer's market mm. for um, apartments and flats and houses, uh, which, you know. It doesn't feel like it's been that for a while. Oh, God, no. It's because I, I was looking for an apartment the last year. Yeah. And, oh, it just feels like hitting a wall. The, the You see those prices being raised and then you get really scared that you're going to miss out on a good flat and you're thinking, no, it's just going to, the right the the price is just going to keep rising and rising. I have to get it now, get it now. Yes. And you're competing with all of these different people. So, oh, I think it will be a good balance to go into a buyer's market. Well, we're renting for the next year at least mm -hmm. and then we'll look at buying somewhere mm -hmm. perhaps. And that might not be a bad time to do it if, if what you say is true. Perhaps not. There was an interesting turn like during COVID uh, around like 2021 mm. where the market was very, very, in, or maybe, yeah, 2020, 2021. The market was really interesting because you had uh, a lot of apartments like becoming free and, and you had like a buyer's market. The interest rates were like just perfect. Yes. And so the the sales went up like, I don't know, like 30%. It was something like a huge increase. 
And then suddenly we go into 2022, 2021, 2022, and we have this awful, awful scenario. 13 interest rate rises in a row. So if interest rates, even if they stick, even if they don't go up, Mm -hmm. at the end of August, I think, is the next point that the decision is made, um, that will represent a change in itself. Because yeah. the pattern has been up and up and up and up for over a year. Constantly, yeah. yeah. Like you're, you're like, <laughs> like playing a game of like Mario Brothers right before yeah. you get to the end point. <laughs> Two events, in fact, over the course of the weekend. One here in Reykjavik and the other in the north of Iceland in Dalvik. Mm-hmm. Uh, very different events in some ways, but also very similar in the sense that they're both massive family days out. We had Pride in Reykjavik. And the great fish day <laughs> in Dalvik. Well, I mean, it really, to me, demonstrates the spectrum of things that Iceland is known for. Because yes. I think when people think about Iceland, they think about, um, well, we're known for our kind of social issues and how we approach equality. And we're known for fish. Yeah. And here we are celebrating both at one time. And listen, if you're a queer fisher person, I'm sure you had a real difficult... This was your weekend, yeah, wasn't it? This, you're like, where should I be? Um, or even if you just wanted to eat some fish, because 200,000 servings of fish, apparently, were, were doled out in, in Dalvik to between thirty and 40,000 people. It's astonishing. Um, yeah, the, the biggest number yet, they say, yet seems to imply that they're going to aim for more. Who are they going to feed next time? It's already I mean, a huge percentage of the population. It's 10% of the Icelandic <laughs> population. And I wonder, where, I don't know how many people turned up at Pride. No, I haven't seen those numbers But, I yet. mean, for any event, 10% of a country's population turning up would be considered to be quite successful. Absolutely. So maybe, you know, if 10% of the population was in Dalvik and 10% was at Pride... <laughs> Where were the rest of us? Where were the re- I was in Selfoss at the well, weekend. Where were you? Well, I, I didn't go to the to the actual Pride March this year. I went last year. And yeah. I have to say, um, it, it is incredibly moving. And it's really powerful to see this demonstration of uh, support. Because obviously, I mean, you know, as many uh, people attending are, in fact, part of the LGBTQ plus community, Many of the people who go aren't, yeah. and they're there to show support and celebrate, you know, how important it is to have this um, inclusion in our lives and diversity in our lives. But also just to have a great day out as well. To have a great day out. And there's so many different aspects, so many different groups putting on their own little things. Um, I did go to an event in the evening, the Schleicher event in Bio Paradise. It was fantastic. It felt very safe, very inclusive. Mm. There was an amazing safe space team who were doing an incredible job of just making sure that everybody was having the best possible time. And I think that's one of the things when I think about um, what pride has brought to all of our lives it's this uh, awareness and inclusion and and thoughtfulness that we can take about how we take care of each other arctic circle assembly which is headed by a former president yes Ólafur Ragnar Grímsson this is the 10th time this is, has been held now and has you know been hugely successful i would say uh, mm. Uh, I think the main theme for now, of course, the Arctic is always the main focus, but I think it was kind of a preparation for COP28, the Mm. annual climate change conference, which is held by the United Nations. It takes place in Dubai in November. So that was a red thread you could hear in all the speeches there. It's very 
huge. It was 700 speakers in over 200 sessions over just this, you know, four or five days which yeah. it took place. Uh, and the thing is about this uh, seminar is that, or circle, is that it's not just those who are in charge. Of course, you know, a lot of high-profile uh, world leaders attend, but it's also, you know, activists and indigenous people and young people and all kinds of groups of people that have a saying in the mm. future of the Arctic. Now, technically, Iceland qualifies as an Arctic nation because of Grimsey, doesn't it? Yes, it does. <laughs> Just and a fraction very of Very close the, by, yeah. Yes, a, a, obviously has a, an interest in the region. Mm-hmm. And Russia has a lot of territory in the Arctic. The Danish foreign minister was one of the guests, one of the speakers at the Arctic Circle Assembly. I know he was talking about world affairs, mm-hmm. Russia, as yeah. it relates to Ukraine and the role that Russia plays and the dangers he saw that Russia might pose indeed in the Arctic in future years. And everyone is very focused on this, uh, that this uh, remains a low tension area. Yes. But, you know, still, like you mentioned, I mean, Russia has been showing the claws and, you know, everyone has to be prepared to mm. in the to answer if that comes to that in this, this area, which everyone, of course, hopes can't be the, won't be the case. Yes. Catherine, the Prime Minister, has been on the world stage a couple of times this year, of course, hasn't she, with this and with the Council of Europe, a big event back in the summer. That's true. Also took place in Harpa in, in the Harpa spring. Yes, well. yes, yes. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Iceland on the national stage and Harpa, a beautiful building. If you've never been to Iceland, if you've never visited Harpa, it's just a nice place to be. You don't have to be there when there's something happening, do you? No, that's true. And, I, and a lot of things are happening there. I mean, they, because I think they uh, use the building quite uh, nicely, in my opinion, because, you know, it it all t- all kinds of seminars, not only when the world leaders are coming for visit, I mean, also a lot of rock concerts and yes. everything in between. I think even Roof had an event there, did we not? Yes, we a have. A few we months have. ago. Yes, yes, we did. <laughs> Memories of that? No world leaders there. <laughs> no. Well, not that we noticed anyway no, over the course of the evening. <laughs> Let's turn to... Oh God, this seems like a long time ago, but it's just a few days ago, when it seems like the entire adult female population of Iceland went out on strike for Women's Strike Day, 24th of October. This was the biggest of its kind since the original event in 1975. And, it, I mean, it, the police estimates of the number of people in Reykjavik city centre were up to 100,000, which alone is a quarter of the population, isn't yeah, it? So yeah. It was just a massive Even day, more. wasn't it? Huge day. It was a huge, huge day. I was, I was there. I, I was here, <laughs> you know, with the rest of the yeah, the, the, uh, yeah. the guys of the news agency of, of Roof. Yes. And, uh, yeah, it was a beautiful day. It was... Uh, Huge. I went after my shift. I was done at two. I went to Ardnrutl. Yes. And wow, the the amount. This is of, the hill in the city centre yeah. where everything was was happening. Two things. For, firstly, the the population. Uh, no, the uh, the the number of people there. So so much. Uh, I've never seen that many. Yeah. Uh, Icelanders gathered to uh, one place, and we we have a lot of gatherings you know yeah, around, like yeah. theology and many go not like uh, a pop pop uh, popular uh, events but uh, the other thing was like the other thing was it was mostly women girls and uh non-binaries yeah, yeah yeah i felt like i was not invited there <laughs> <laughs> i i felt like i had to hide but really <laughs> yeah but but you know I mean, did you feel unwelcome or did you just feel that you weren't obviously part of that group yeah, I felt like 
I, f I didn't feel I wasn't welcome, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but uh, I felt like, uh, you know... It wasn't your day. No, exactly. Yeah, it wasn't yeah, my day. Yeah, yeah. I, I felt like it wasn't my day. There is more from Roof English with all the news from Iceland in English at ruv.is slash English. Roof English Radio is a daily English language radio from Iceland's national broadcaster, Roof. <laughs>